0: Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Hallelujah. Let's open up our Bibles this evening. I would like to ask you to take a look at two scriptures, if you can. For those of you who don't use paper Bibles, this might be a challenge for you. But uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm going to look there for a moment, but our main scripture is going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, a very familiar verse there, and to our sound crew, I'm going to go ahead and switch microphones if you don't mind. Praise God. Check one, two. So how many have seen this? Uh, some very encouraging news reports coming out of Kentucky in the last couple of weeks? Very interesting to see what is happening there. The small Kentucky town called Wilmore, there is a university there called Asbury University uh, that has a chapel service for its students three times a week. A couple of weeks ago, they were having a Wednesday night chapel service which broke out in a time of intense prayer, confession, people seeking the Lord in repentance, which went late into the night and into the next day, and before they knew it, the church had been open for 24 hours nonstop. People began to pour in from all over the campus. This is just the last two weeks. Maybe you've seen reports of this. And as it has continued to advance, I've been amazed to see the large crowds gathering, people coming in to worship God and pray. You've seen, perhaps, scenes of people praying together, believing God. And uh, they say, they estimate that nearly 200,000 people have descended on this small town, which has been a great challenge for them. They don't even have a hotel in this town, but people showing up outside of the building, a building would get packed out, the crowds would form outside, they would project the service on a large screen, people singing and praying, and uh, a lot of great images coming out of this, and some people calling it a move of God, perhaps a revival, perhaps the spark of another great awakening, God let it be so. And so, as we're processing this, you know, the question for us is, what do we do? What do we, here in Virginia Beach, what are we supposed to do with that? So, I just saw the news over the last day that the university staff have been overwhelmed. They recently ended the -the round-the-clock service, and so, as visitors continue to come in, they're going to be meeting in another location, which is great the chapel will continue on with nightly services primarily for the students, 25 and under. I was encouraged to see that. As long as there remains a hunger and a desire to continue worshiping and praying, they will continue to do nightly services. And I believe that this is a good move for them to shepherd what God is doing in that place. But again, the question remains, what should we do? So I see... Two possible dangers for the church and for us specifically here tonight. That we can see in First Thessalonians chapter five. The danger, first of all, for us, is that we don't want to miss a genuine move of God. First Thessalonians five, verse 19 says, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecy. And so for some people, our immediate reaction is perhaps out of jealousy, is to throw a wet blanket on what's going on there and take a fire extinguisher and say, ah, that's just emotionalism. There is a danger that if we do that, we might miss a genuine move of God, perhaps like the Pharisees did when Jesus showed up in their midst. They missed out. We don't want to be that. In uh, In order to avoid that danger, what do we say? We should examine the fruit. What is the product of these services? Well, I've seen many, many reports of people's lives being transformed. People coming out of those services saying, I'm set free from drugs, alcohol, perversion. I've seen uh, videos of people being baptized. All those are great things. There's a second danger that we should also want to avoid, which is getting caught up in empty emotionalism. Our scripture goes on to say that First Thessalonians five verse twenty one says, "Test all things; hold fast what is good." And the reason I say that is because there have been many revivals, revivals in the past that have turned deadly, because people get religious, outside influences become, uh, start to come in, uh, all kind of uh, fanaticism begins to take place, and the spirit of God leaves. And so we don't want to get caught up in either one of those dangers tonight. What we are truly seeking for, and why this has garnered so much attention, rightfully so, is because the church needs reviving. We need reviving. And so the question remains tonight: what is revival? And when revival shows up, what do we do with it? And I hope to answer those questions tonight. From the scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, a familiar scripture that uh, you've probably heard before. This is a message I've titled Harnessing Revival. Let's read together one verse, one famous verse, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is what we're praying for tonight. Let's pray for just a moment. God, we come by the blood of Jesus. God, we are first of all encouraged by what we see happening in Kentucky and other uh, campuses in the area. God, we're praying that this, this uh, wave of spiritual revival and renewal, God, would be genuine. And that hearts would be genuinely changed and transformed. And God, that this would spread to four corners of our nation And the world, and we're asking tonight, pour out your Spirit in these last days. How desperately we need it. God, we need you tonight to speak to us in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Amen. So first of all, let's ask the question, what is revival? How do we define that? That word has been perhaps overused or twisted, but when we think about revival, you can really think about it in two ways. Number one, you can think about a revival as a localized event where God begins to move in a special way, either upon an individual, a family, or even around the world. We think of events that have taken place within the last 400 years or so when the Christian church, at least here in America, has experienced some incredible waves of revival. There was the first Great Awakening in the 1600s and 1700s under preaching of, people like George Whitfield and the Black Robe Regiment, and which really gave birth to the revolution, the American Revolution and the, uh, the Declaration of Independence was the culmination of a great awakening that took place in that time. We think of things like the Welsh Revival. In America, we had a second great awakening in the 1800s, which ultimately culminated in the Emancipation Proclamation and the freedom and the abolition of slavery an amazing thing. In the last century, there was a great movement, two great movements. Well, many more that we could point to, but two that stand out are the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles in the 1920s. And then, later on, in the 1960s and 70s, there was uh, the Jesus People movement. All the hippies and long haired, uh, Indian style, sitting on the floor. They would bring in their guitars with their dogs, and they got radically saved. Our fellowship, the movement that you are in tonight, is an outgrowth of that revival. Pastor Mitchell um, was, uh, was there. He was uh, pastoring. He had, uh, had a record of uh, pastoring small churches in small towns for a long, long time. And all of a sudden, in a cowboy town of Prescott, Arizona, a bunch of hippies came in and got saved. And out of that group grew the movement that we are part of today. 3,000 plus churches all around the world. Because of a revival. In the bigger sense. In the scope of God pouring out His Spirit on a larger scale in a powerful, powerful way. So if you ask, what is happening at Asbury University? Well, certainly we are seeing the first. We are seeing people radically changed and saved and touched. People worshiping and praying, and that is not—that uh, is not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing to see God moving, especially upon young people. But we cannot say for certain whether it is the societal shifting type of great awakening that we have seen in times past. And why—why can't we, uh, Why can we not determine that yet? Well, because we have to say with certainty tonight that. Real revival, like Great Awakening type of revival that we need, is not mere religious fervor. It takes more than people getting excited at a Chris Tomlin song. If all we have is a religious atmosphere and a spiritual gimmick, this is not the definition of revival. A megachurch full of religious sinners is not revival. Everybody with me so far? Just having a a crowd is not the definition of revival. There's only one way into the kingdom of God, and it's not just singing worship songs. You know how to get to the kingdom? It's repentance of sin and surrender to Christ. And so true revival is marked by transformed lives. People uh, surrendering their hearts, not just Jesus as Savior, but Jesus as Lord of my life. And I'm not just getting excited for one or two nights or even two or three weeks, but Lord, this is is not a one-night stand. This is a lifelong commitment to the kingdom through repentance. And uh, I pray that that's what's happening. I pray we will see in time to come. What we find in our Scripture tonight in 2 Chronicles is we find... We find a recipe for revival. We find more than just religious excitement and fervor and singing songs. We find what God really wants to do and what God really needs to do right now. One thing as you study um, revivals from the past is you will read in journals of preachers who have been blessed to Shepherd over movements like this, uh, George Whitfield, Finney, many of these, uh, Charles Wesley, the Salvation Army movement, all of these. You, if, if you read their diaries, you will discover that before the revival began, that they all have similar things to say about the world and the culture happening around them, and they would say that it seemed as though the world was at its worst. Or they say it's always darkest before the dawn. And it seems as though before the revival began that, uh, that, that you know, sin was, was rampant in a culture, that families were broken apart, that there was all kinds of evil happening out in the open. And certainly we can see that happening. So if that is a requirement for revival, uh, check that one off the box. We have in the last days an outpouring of rampant and, uh, and wickedness that we have not seen in many, many generations. And what revival is, is when God says, I'm giving a chance to my church to see the world around them changed, to see people changed. It's not just a gimmick. It's not just a Christian concert. It's a move of God that begins with a hungry invitation and humble hearts. That's what we find in this scripture. I want to say one thing tonight that you should remember, and that is that revival, we know that sometimes God pours out His Spirit in special ways for special purposes. And that's not something that we can organize or manufacture, right? I can't, uh, I can't uh, organize my way into a great awakening. We can't plan for that. That's something that God does. However, the places and times where revival does happen is not mere circumstance. It's not random. What we have seen in the past and what we will see in the future is that revival will come to the places where people's hearts are hungry and thirsty and humble. And so what will we see when we see revival? I'll tell you the number one thing we will see is prayer. Step one in any revival is prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and what? Pray and seek my face. We will never have revival unless people are humbly and uh, and hungrily in prayer and fasting, seeking the Lord. I can tell you as long as we have a prayerless church... Revival will not rest on this church. The recognition in prayer is, Lord, I am empty, and I need you to fill me. Lord, my life is broken, and I need you to fix me. That's where repentance and humility comes in. It's not, uh, it's not come and take a look at this awesome building we have, or come and listen to this great church band or great event that we're putting on. See, revival will will God God pours out His Spirit in revival on a church and on any people who will seek the Lord humbly with a great hunger and desire in their hearts. God cannot fill a life that is already packed to the brim with other less important things. You know what gets in the way often of our hunger and desire for God? Money. Materialism the busyness of life, right? Anything that takes our entertainment can be a, a substitute for, for revival Door at 6 p.m. on a Wednesday night so that we can pray. But the question is, do we really humble ourselves? And do we really seek His face? Or do we just come to check the box? Do we really seek God and pray for revival in our soul? I'll, I'll tell you that many people, this is not part of your regular prayer routine because revival would interrupt your schedule. True, I mean, look, think about these, these students, think about their classes, man. This has been a great interruption for the last two weeks. They've had to set other things aside. You know, the Super Bowl happened while this was happening. That means that those students, they couldn't participate in the things of the world while this revival was happening. They couldn't participate in other pursuits and other desires. Even the professors in the university, they were like, man, are we going to have classes again? And thank God there's a university that understands that when God is pouring out new wine, he needs some new wineskins. And that interrupted things, and that's uncomfortable a little bit. And let me ask you, could God interrupt your schedule if he's pouring out his spirit? Or are we so rigid and structured that we don't have time for a revival? I don't have time. I don't have energy. I've got things to do, pastor. Okay. God wants to hear us. And that only comes when we humble ourselves and pray. Our scripture goes on to say about uh, repentance. It says, if my people who are called by my name would turn from their sins, turn from their wicked ways, humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways. We see the picture of repentance. And so, before God can begin putting things into us, before God can begin using us powerfully, what He has to do first is, just like, a, just like if you had a, a, a dish sitting in your sink, the last time you used it, you know it's all full of old food and it's been sitting there for a few days and you're like, man, there's no, there's no dishes in here. What am I going to do? I need to eat some cereal this morning. And so uh, if there's no bowls left in the cupboard, you know what you got to do? you got to get one that's already been used with some nasty filth in there. And you got to take some soap and a little sponge and you got to clean, clean that thing up so that it is fit for use once again. You know, the church goes through waves, goes through times where we are used by God And then perhaps set aside for a time. And that's okay. That's God's right. He can do that. But before God can use us, how many know He's got to purify us? He's got to wash us. He's got to cleanse us. And God doesn't use soap. He washes us by the blood of Jesus. And I want to say tonight that the cleansing and purification that God wants to do in you can only happen with your participation. In other words, God is not going to purify a vessel. See, you're not a bowl. You're not a cup. You're not a plate. You're not an inanimate object. You are involved in the process of purification. You have to say, Lord, cleanse me by your blood. I need you to do a work in me so that you can use my life for something great. This is what repentance is. Repentance is when we acknowledge Our sins before the Lord. I was encouraged as I looked at some of these videos from Asbury College of people at the altar, knees bowed, faces in the ground, praying and repenting. They said we were confessing our sins all night long. When's the last time you did that? Maybe there's a reason. That's the spark of revival in that place. It's not random. It's not happenstance. It's not which one comes before the other. We know that revival happens when people begin to confess their sins. And also, that when people confess their sins, revival begins to happen. As we turn from our sins, repentance. 2 Timothy 2, verse 21, If anyone cleanses himself, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. See, God wants to use us, but we first must be cleansed and purified. He can't use a dirty vessel. He can't put cereal in a nasty old spaghetti bowl. He's got to cleanse us so that He can use us. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you want to see God? You want to see His will in your life? You want to see revival in 2023? It will come in the pursuit of purity. It means putting away our pet sins. It means leaving behind, confessing, and rebuking and forsaking our evil words and deeds, what we give our eyes and our ears to. Uh, if we're wondering why the church is not revived, perhaps it's because we give our eyes and our ears to wickedness and our thoughts and our desires. Am I preaching anybody tonight? Yep. Maybe just myself. Purity in our culture is something that's mocked and derided. Purity and, uh, and you know, maintaining uh, sexual purity especially is something that is seen as childish and foolish even. But it is not ful- foolish. Will, God, will you allow God to cleanse a wicked heart from evil? The Bible says your heart is wicked. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? Before we can go... On to any other, any other thing. We've got to say, Lord, I need you to cleanse me, purify me, so that you can use me. The next thing we see is a passion. Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the kind of love that God displayed for you. On the cross. This is the salvation that he provided was not a half salvation, right? Aren't you glad? That when it came time for Jesus to pay the price, he, didn't, he wasn't looking for a bargain basement discount. He paid the full measure of what was required to save humanity. He poured it all out. There was nothing left to give in the life of Jesus. That's why we call that week, we call it what? The Passion of the Christ famous Mel Gibson movie with the same name all of that blood all of that uh, torment the broken body of Jesus hanging on the cross paying the price for sin that was because of his passion for you and I if we want to see revival we it has to come from a place of passion zeal fervency willingness to endure difficulty for the kingdom They said about Jesus, Psalm 69, verse 9, as He turned over the tables, they remembered this psalm, zeal for your house has eaten me up. You got any zeal for the house of God? Where does your passion lie? I know some people are passionate about their team. People are passionate about their hobby or their sport. People are passionate even about uh, fashion and industry and what they work on in life. Where on the list does Jesus live? He said, You shall love the Lord with all your heart. This half hearted Christianity thing, it's not even Christianity. There's no such thing. It's either all or nothing here, guys. Jesus said, If you are not willing to forsake all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. Can we be real tonight? This is an all-in, all-or-nothing offer from the Lord. I notice about churches that are thriving and growing. You know, if you've been to a church or an atmosphere like what was happening in Kentucky these last few weeks, if you've ever been in an atmosphere like that, you know what you will notice? People are passionate. They're not holding back. They're not stiff upper lip, stoic. Hmm, I'm experiencing revival now. Very powerful you know there might be some some are more emotional than others we know that but it's not just about expressing emotion it's about a zeal a passion for the things of God it's a missing ingredient in our prayers in our generosity in our time in our evangelism even maybe you can remember what it was like when your faith was fresh and you were first saved and you couldn't believe that there's a God in heaven who would take the time to save a rat like you. And that drove you to love passionately. You know, it's kind of like in marriage, you know, you, when you first meet your, your spouse, your future spouse, it's like all, it's all you can do to stop thinking about them. You know, it's like you would give anything just to, just to listen to them breathing on the other end, end of the phone. You still there? Yeah there's a passion You can't wait to be with them and, and and as soon as you come together it's like I can't think of anything else that I w- want to do or anyone else I want to be with people fall in love and then they get married and then some time passes and some children and pretty soon it's like a struggle oh are you still in the house I didn't even notice thought you were gone we lose the passion especially as time goes by and things get familiar listen it can happen in church We're not careful. Where where was Jesus not able to do any great miracles? In his hometown of Nazareth. Why? Too familiar. Oh, that's just Joseph's boy. The one who puts together the chairs. Yeah, and Jesus couldn't do no mighty miracles there. They were too close for too long. Have we grown so familiar? We've lost our zeal and our passion for the things of God. Another mark of real revival is power. Power the power and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is going to be how we can measure if what's happening in Kentucky is more than just a passing phase. We will see whether those students receive power from the Holy Spirit. Power to do what? Well, to do the same thing that first church did. What's the first thing that happened? They began to speak out boldly in other tongues. God began to use them to witness to the whole city around them. People began listening. It says that Peter stood up. Chapter 2, Acts 2, verse 14. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known and heed my words. He goes on to preach the first Holy Ghost sermon. And 3,000 people are saved and added to the church in one day. The power. He preached the gospel to them. He told them, you are the ones who crucified the Lord. And you need to repent. And there were those in the crowd that day who said, yes we do. It wasn't just feel good messages and singing songs. It, was, it resulted in power to preach the gospel. This is the mark of great revivals. The revivals are not inward focused. I've been encouraged to see Christians wanting to go and be a part of what's happening there. But real revival is something that spreads outward. Jesus said, you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What happens here will spread. It cannot be contained. That will be the mark. That as the Holy Spirit is poured out, As Jesus comes to life in those services, they will not be able to keep it to themselves. They will preach this message. People will begin to be affected by it outside of the walls of that building. A mark also of revival is that it will always exalt the name of Jesus, the incarnate Word of the Father. You have to be careful about churches or movements that only exalt and magnify the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is bad. We need the Holy Spirit. But what is the Holy Spirit's job? John 15, 26, When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth will testify of Me. The Spirit of God comes to give us power to do what? To preach the name of Jesus. The only name by which men will be saved. You need to listen to what these students are saying. Are they talking about Jesus? I hope so. I'm not there. I haven't been a part of the services. But, you know, uh, one thing is that uh, I have not seen. I've seen lots of singing. I've seen lots of prayer. I've seen lots of people with hands lifted. I have not seen a lot of preaching in altar calls. Uh, I don't know if they're happening or not. I, I would assume that they are. I hope that they are. But the Holy Spirit will testify of Jesus. Acts 4, verse 13. They saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. How did they know the Holy Spirit was at work in these two disciples, these two apostles? Because of the power that they observed in them. Not their education, not their training, Right? Not their, not their, uh, not their uh, uh, gleaming personalities. Not how well Peter could play the guitar. No, the thing that set them apart was their boldness to pray for the sick the way Jesus did, to preach the gospel, and even to endure when persecution would come. Boldness is in the New Testament ten times. Is it in you? If you are a spirit-filled believer, it means. That you have power to overcome sin, power to overcome flesh, power to speak the name of Jesus in every situation. And finally tonight as we close, a mark of great revival is an enduring purpose. As mentioned, a genuine move of God is marked by outward expansion. It's still early on in Kentucky. We can't make a final judgment. But my prayer is that this movement would not be contained in one small town or in just a few college campuses. My prayer is that it would spread to secular colleges. My prayer is that sinners on the campus, where these young men and women who are uh, spending every other night with another uh, partner, that they would be convicted in their sins. That they would begin to flock in to the local churches and begin to cry out to God for mercy on their wicked souls that the bars and the clubs would empty out like they did in the Welsh revival in that time in the Welsh revival when that was taking place there were pubs and bars on every other corner that had to shut down for lack of customers because everyone was so powerfully saved they didn't want to intake any more spirits except the Holy Spirit do not be drunk with wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody needed that tonight. Not sure who that was. But when we are filled with the Spirit, God gives us purpose to go out and to fulfill the work of God. Every great revival has then gone on to become a missionary movement. Whether that means going to the next street or the next town or the next state, or the next nation, every great revival has resulted in a missionary mentality. We cannot keep this to ourselves. The message of the Gospel must go. The question for you tonight, have you figured out your purpose and your place in the move of God? Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly Heavenly places, that's a lot of blessing. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of His will. I've been preaching on Sunday mornings about the will of God. Have you entered into that new dimension, that transformed mind, that renewed life, Of living for the will of God and not for the will of you this is the mark of a revived heart Lord I'm not just it's not just that I'm excited it's not just that I want to be in church it's not just that I have a passion and a zeal Lord I want to do something the Apostle Paul when he was still Saul on his way to Damascus and God kicked him off of his high horse And the two questions he asked, Lord, who are you? And what do you want me to do? Some people are afraid of that question. What do you want me to do? Because they're afraid it might interrupt their lives, interrupt their plans. But this is where we find a revival that continues for a generation, that truly shakes the world and turns, like in the book of Acts, turns the world upside down, is when people are sold out No holding back. No reservations. I want to do the will of God. Until we get to that point man, we have not fully experienced revival, your mandate, the goal of your life as a believer ought to be to figure out what is your purpose that you were created for. If you have figured it out already, then it's time to lay aside smaller and less important things. Pursue that with Everything that you've got. If you're a singer, you need to sing with all, of you, all you've got for the Lord. If, you are a, if you've got the gift of evangelism, you can't put bury that in the sand. You've got to use that for the kingdom. If you've got the gift of administration and help, if you are a, a giver, you know how to make money and you know how to give, man, you need to put that 100% into the hands of the Lord and stop you know, uh, twisting it for selfish purposes. And if you haven't figured out what that is tonight, that should be the first prayer that you pray tonight is, Lord, show me what you want me to do. Give me a purpose. Give me a mandate. If you want to have revival, if you want to experience it, it starts with prayer, repentance, purity, passion, and purpose. And my prayer is tonight that that same spark that is happening in a few places, that that spark would be fanned into a great flame. And that revival fire would sweep once again this nation. Can I tell you that America is a place that is steeped in the history of revival? See, this scripture that was written to the Jews, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I, here's God's part, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That was true of Israel, wasn't it? You read over and over again how Israel lost their way. They worshipped idols. They went into slavery and bondage. But then what did they do? God, we were stupid. Forgive us. And God heard their prayer and healed their land. Can I tell you, America also has a history of revival. Has a history of God doing incredible things here as God would pour out His Spirit, my prayer is that in my lifetime, God, let it be so, that there would be another great awakening, perhaps the last day's awakening that the Bible predicts before Jesus comes to receive His church once again. We desperately need it. As I mentioned, it often gets darkest right before the dawn. So my prayer is tonight, Lord, come quickly, because we need You. We need revival. You need revival. I need revival. Let it happen tonight. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a few moments. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three. Premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to World Evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks.